turn our attention now to the book of Ruth. If you want to meet me there in Ruth chapter 2, the second week of Advent, all around the global church in the church calendar uh, is all about peace. I hope you picked up on that today. But Isaiah the prophet, as Jerome already brought us to, but I want to bring us back to it as we really rest our attention on Jesus, our heavenly peace. I want to go right back to Isaiah 9 and just zero in on verse 6 and 7 and put it on the screen for you or have you look at it in your lap so that we're laying eyes on it and that we're actually taking that inhale and exhale that is the Spirit of God that brings peace From God and the scripture, the prophet wrote these words. He said, for to us, a child is born to us, a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name, his name shall be called. Listen to this wonderful counselor. He's not just a counselor. He's a wonderful counselor. He's not just God. He's mighty God. He's not just your father. He's your everlasting father. And he's not just peace. He's not just bringing you peace. No, no. He's the prince of peace. And of the increase of his government and of His peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And then I love these words, the zeal of the Lord, not the zeal of his church, not the zeal of his disciples. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Can I get an amen in church today? Epic stuff in our Christian faith. Yet little did Isaiah know that while he's prophesying these very words, God had a rescue plan already in motion. I mean, I think he knew that. That's why he prophesied that. But could he have known that at the same moment... This was happening in the most unusual of ways. It's being put into motion in our story through an enemy of the state, through a Moabite woman, through a forbidden fruit, if you will. A Moabite woman named Ruth, who would come to be redeemed by an Israelite man named Boaz. To continue the bloodline through which both David and Jesus would come. Only God, right? Only God would write that story in the wrong way and yet it would be so right. It is our hope. It is our peace that God takes what the world is not interested in and redeems it and uses it for His glory and His good and the good of the earth. It is what 1 Corinthians one twenty seven declares that he chooses to use the weak things of the world to shame the strong. 
That is my story. That is your story. That is why we have found each other here at Redeemer City Church. And the invitation is for us to lean into the fact that even in the craziest of circumstances, the Prince of Peace arrives right on time, every time. Now that doesn't mean he has to do it the way you want him to. I look around this room and I I feel your pain. I know what you're going through, many of you. And it is not that he has righted every wrong, but it is that he is God. And he today, as the Prince of Peace, wants to step right into your space and be with you. And as Ruth declared last week, he wants to be your God and you to be his people. Be at peace with that. Where Ruth left us at the end of chapter 1 in the story was in a place that was void of peace. We have three women who lose their husbands and now are making plans to return to what was familiar, to return to what was hopefully going to provide for their needs and Orpah goes back to Moab and Naomi says, Ruth, why don't you go too? I'm going to go back to Bethlehem in Judea. And Ruth says, no, 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 I'm going with you. And she gives us the first glimpse in Ruth of Hased, of what is that loyal love that only God can produce in your life and mine. And he does that through the Son of God, through Jesus, the Incarnation, all the beautiful things in the story of Advent. But they were happening long before in this wonderful story. And it's important to note here as we step back into the story that Ruth, really the overarching theme of this story, this four chapter book, is that it's really a literary exploration of some important things. The relationship between our human decision making and the providence of God. We all wrestle with this. I'm out here doing things. I'm making decisions. And yet I am acutely aware that John 15.5 says that I can do nothing without Jesus. And yet here I am. God weaving together the faithful obedience of His people to bring about His redemptive purposes in the kingdom. That's what Ruth is really all about on the most practical of levels. Loss, pain, providence, all colliding. So chapter 2 then begins in a really practical place with Naomi and Ruth moving back to Judea to Bethlehem, and we enter their conversation about where they might find food. And it just so happens that this is at the beginning of what the Scripture calls the barley harvest. And that's strategic in the life of Israel. And it was a good time for them to move. I have no doubt that Naomi knew that. 
And so she's going to send Ruth out to find food. And don't you know it, that while they're making their decisions, the Spirit of God is already at work making His decisions. Amen? And so I just want to read all of chapter 2 in its entirety. Now normally I would have you stand for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to have you do that. But don't worry, I'm going to have you sit after a couple verses. Because I, I don't want to feel that pressure from you to hurry it up, okay? So why don't you stand with me, and I'm going to have you stand for the first seven verses, and then it's going to say at the end of verse seven, a short rest, and that's your cue to go ahead and take a rest. Come on, you can't plan that any better than that. I work on some things during the week. Let's go. The Bible says this. If you don't have a Bible today, it'll be on the screen for you. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And he said to her, Go, my daughter. So she she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. You can be seated for the rest of the reading. As you're seated, though, I want to just note that I'm not going to dive into this, but I find it interesting Some commentators actually believe, when I first read this, I was like, oh, how nice. Some commentators actually believe there's agitation in the answer that the young man is giving. More of like a disgust, like she's been here all day gleaning and asking questions and I'd like to go home and all the things, right? Let me, let me bring it right home. It's kind of like when you pull up to a street corner in Tampa and you don't want to look left. See, before we get judgmental, we experience this. People in need. And how do we respond, right? So, the Bible's very honest with us, I think. That this is something we all experience. Maybe even some of you would find yourself experiencing houselessness today. And so we're mindful of that. We're mindful of what God might ask of us. And so here comes Boaz. In verse 8, Boaz says to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one. But keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. He's given quite generosity here. Then she 
fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. I love that he's not confused, that it is not he who is bringing salvation. It's simply him, the conduit of God's grace and favor to Ruth. He's partnering with God and bringing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. He's living that out. And she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoke kindly to your servant, though I am not even one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? (laughs) And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Naomi's angling for something here. So she told her mother, she can read the signs basically. Somebody thought you were cute. This man's name with whom I had worked today is Boaz. See, I think sometimes we read the Bible and we think they were so different than we are. But they were humans. They were humans. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours. One of our, here it is, redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. This is... God's word. Such an interesting story. There's a lot of things we could talk about. We're just going to pick a couple today. And uh, I'm going to work on some bonus podcast content to come out during the next couple weeks. Because there's a lot that we're not going to cover in service. But that is happening behind the scenes. A lot of history here. A lot of uh, things that were going on in the text that are so powerful and so wonderful. But what I want to do is kind of back out a little bit and and recognize a couple of things. First of all, as we dive into chapter 2, just know that their issue is not fully resolved at this moment. 
they are going to be made to wait. Notice that Boaz does not step in and offer to marry Ruth immediately. He does offer her the temporary satisfaction of having a place to get food till the end of harvest. But harvest would end and gleaning would stop. And then they would be back where they were. This is buying them some time, but it is not fully redeeming where they are. That will come next week. But in this moment of waiting on the Lord, they continue to see his providence at work. It couldn't have been lost on Naomi as she's explaining this to Ruth, exactly what is happening and what in the back of her mind she might hope, could this be what I think it's going to be? So Ruth goes out, her choices, and I love this, I love this phrase early on in the chapter where it says, and she happened to be in Boaz's field. That's providence at work, isn't it? Picking grain in the field of Naomi's relative Boaz, who we're told elsewhere is a man of noble character. He notices Ruth and after finding out about her story shows remarkable generosity. And I was, this is not where we're going today, but I was struck by that. That of all the things that he could have done, he shows remarkable generosity. Where does that generosity come from? Well, no doubt Boaz makes special provisions for this sojourner Ruth because he would have known that just like the Torah commands in Deuteronomy 24.19, I want you to see this on the screen. It says this, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back and get it. Okay, it shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow that your Lord, that the Lord, your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. See, this this is all through scripture, even when you come to the New Testament. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I haven't gleaned in any fields. I haven't done any harvesting lately downtown here. But what we do know is that Jesus would say similar things in the New Testament, in the Gospels, right, as the gospel writers uh, record his sermons and record his words, he would say things like, lay down your life for another and you will what? Find it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? There are all these things in Scripture that constantly bring your attention back to your soul, back to the things that matter for eternity, back to the things that God's doing below the surface that maybe if we're not paying attention, we'll miss. And so often it's found in those places of generosity where you're laying down your life, where I'm laying down my life for the good of another. It is kind of like what John records for us, right? Where he says, we love because he first loved us. He is the Prince of Peace. And so upon hearing Ruth's story, Boaz is so impressed by Ruth's loyalty to Naomi That he prays God will reward her for her boldness. For her sacrifice. And after Ruth comes home that day, Naomi finds out that she meets Boaz. And she's thrilled, obviously, because Boaz is one of their family redeemers. Just quickly, this phrase refers to a cultural practice in Israel. Where if a man in the family died and left behind a wife, it was the redeemer's responsibility to marry the widow and protect the family. So bitter Naomi begins to hope. 
that perhaps there is still a future for her family. So the question then is, what do we do with that? What do you and I do with that today? And there's a lot we could do with that, but I just want to encourage you with two things today. But as we think about that, I want to challenge you a little bit before we turn back to the peace. I want to challenge you a little bit that in our comfort, maybe we don't tend to slow down and see this. In our ability, we sometimes tend to not slow down and see this and taste this and feel this. Early church father John Chrysostom in the 300s wrote these words, so not long after Jesus. He wrote these words, God does not need us at all, in case you're confused. (laughs) God does not need us at all and still loves us very much. Whereas we desperately need Him, but do not accept His love. Why? I mean, this was in the 300s. (laughs) Preferring money, human friendship, physical comfort, power, and glory. In spite of the fact that He prefers nothing to us. What is the incarnation but the Son of God stepping out of the splendors of that relationship with the Father to come to earth and take on a body And to participate with us for 33 years and then die and rise again and bring you and I life so that when you are buried with Christ in baptism, you are raised literally to walk in newness of life. In the power of the resurrection, in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what's going on under the surface here. And so... What's happening here when you saw that word favor multiple times in Ruth chapter 2 is what's happening is God is beginning to reveal His grace through the story of Ruth. It's the biblical concept of grace. And friend, God's grace is evident all around you right now. All around you today. When we say the vision is Jesus, when we say we love God, it's because He first loved us. And no matter what happens in life, I have hope, I have peace, I have joy, I have love. It's what Advent is all about. It's the invitation to maybe grieve with Him today. It's the invitation to maybe rejoice with Him today. It's the invitation to maybe trust Him today. Maybe for you today, it's simply to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus today. You've never bowed the knee to Him. Today ought to be that day. In the book of Luke, in chapter 14, uh, some of us had a uh, professor who used to say, Dr. Luke, the careful historian, come on. He records Jesus sharing a parable in which he compares the kingdom of God to a party or a banquet. And that God is this generous host and the religious people of all are rejecting his invitation to the banquet. And so he makes this incredible phrase where he tells his servants, he says, go go out to the hedges and highways and compel people to come in that my house may be full. God is after his people. He's 
inviting his people into the table. He is a generous host. But can I just be honest with you? I think a lot of us struggle with this idea that God has provided enough. We live in this culture that always just, I, I feel it, always, I feel at this moment in Advent, in Christmas season, is it going to be Advent where I slow down and rest, or is it going to be Christmas where I speed up and buy? <laughs> and we're like, yes. <laughs> the invitation is to rest. What we're going to see next week is Boaz make this invitation, Ruth make an invitation to each other to rest and be redeemed. And so we look forward to that. But in this moment, we're talking about trust. God is generous. One of the most important ways we experience the abundance of God's new creation that we talk about a lot is by sharing it with others because our trust in God is that He is that generous host. That I can let go of what is mine for you and for us and for my neighbor and for the one who doesn't yet know Jesus because I trust that God is good. Does he not clothe the lilies of the field? I love that. And so here's Boaz living this out. Even if he was attracted to Ruth, he couldn't have known yet that that was a real possibility. Had he connected all the dots? Probably not. But what he did know is what Deuteronomy had called him to do. And here he is faithfully living that out over and above in generosity. And so in chapter 2, we come to this other Hebrew word besides hesed, which is loyal love. And that really only scratches the surface of how awesome that Hebrew word is. But there's another word there, another Hebrew word called hen, and it simply means grace. It means favor, as our English translation gave it to us today. And the place where God's loyal love meets our gratitude for Him is in His grace. It's in the experiencing of His grace in our relationships with each other in our relationships with our neighbor, in our relationship to the Holy Spirit and to the Son of God and His goodness in our life. It's why the Old Testament writers could write things like, oh, taste and see that He is good because everything around them was from Him. Everything they touched, everything they ate, everything. Even when they were frustrated wandering around in the wilderness and they wanted more than manna, they had manna, right? So we can look at all these different stories where God's providing and providing and then we get annoyed and then we back to... Pro Sounds familiar. But grace. I want to give you two key principles here if you want to write them down to think about this week. And then we're going to turn our attention to the communion table again. Two things. Number one, it'll be on the screen is simply this, God's grace provides direction when you don't know where to turn. Without a shadow of a doubt, whether it's right now, or recently, or at some point in your life, or tomorrow, one thing that levels the playing field in the human existence, in the human 
world and the life we live is that there are times and there will be times where you, from a human standpoint, feel like there's nowhere to go. Either by your own sinful choices or by circumstances you cannot quite comprehend. That moment will come and it did for Ruth and Naomi. Let's not just let's not get lost in the fact that they just moved back somewhere that they hadn't been for a long time when the husband chose to take them out, that they were coming back and are now reliant on the goodness and favor of other human beings. Yes, human beings that are following the Lord, but they were dependent on other humans. And so this is God's providence here. Here are two women in need, the death of their husbands, living in the midst of a famine, no food, no income. And here comes Boaz in verse 8, and he says, now listen. They didn't have to listen. Ruth could have ran. She could have been afraid. She could have done any number of human emotions that any of us could have done. But Boaz says, listen, and he was ironically speaking on behalf of God. And doesn't God do that to us through each other? Is that not what we do? Isn't that what the New Testament lays out as church, that we come together and sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, admonishing each other in the Word, right? Like, this is what we do. This is how God works. And so, he says, I will provide for you. Don't glean in another field. I will protect you. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? I will meet every need. When you're thirsty, go drink what the men have drawn. This is what God says to you. In Matthew 6.33, He says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Isaiah 54.17, No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. Drop to the end. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Scripture says God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is who He is. He will give you what you need. And I am not just talking about money. But far beyond the things that money can buy. What Advent is extending to you. Hope. Peace. Joy. Love. These you cannot put a price tag on. God's grace provides direction when you don't know where to turn. The second thing, maybe one of my favorite parts of this story, and I want to say it to you like this on purpose, God's grace is never disenchanted. And I would say to you that He's never disenchanted with you. You see, because for many of us in the human experience, there's a line somewhere, right? There's a line somewhere where like, you've done this so many times that I'm done. Right? We know that. We've, we've experienced that. That there's a line somewhere in the human experience where you can't do that anymore. <laughs> but it is not like that with God. We, we, we sin over and over and over and to varying degrees and against various people and over and over. And yet God's grace, God's loyal love never gets disenchanted with you. His grace is never thwarted. It's never frustrated. It's never stopped. His love is never ending. It is not shocked by your shortcomings or even mine. That's why we call it grace. Amen. 
That's why we call it grace. As much of a sinner that you are, as much of a sinner that I am, that we all are, God's grace overwhelms all of that sin. He's willing to forgive those that come to Him. He's never disenchanted with showing you grace. So if you walked in here today disconnected from Him, He is not disenchanted with you. And just like that story of the prodigal son where the father is waiting on the porch every morning and finally sees the son coming, he hikes up his robe and he runs down the lane, which is totally inappropriate in that culture for a father to do, and he grabs his son and he tells everybody else in the house to start to celebrate. (laughs) Because that's what loyal love looks like. It's never disenchanted with what you have done. It doesn't mean that he's not going to address it. Because that's love too. But he's never disenchanted with you. One of his kids. He's always ready to welcome you home. Nothing can prevent God's plan of grace from being successful. Nothing. James 4, 6. But he gives more grace. I love that. John sixteen thirty three. In me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. 1 John 4, 4, I love this, little children, sometimes we're just that. You are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. There's much more going on than meets the eye, and the one in you is greater than the one at work in the world. Sometimes I wonder if we really get this. And I'm not just talking, I'm talking about me. Sometimes, man, if that's true, man, let's go. I've got some things to say to some people this Advent. I've got some invitations to make that the king of the world loves you and gave himself up for you so that you could have life and find it abundantly in his name. Come on, that doesn't get you fired up. Man. But so often we're in that space when Jesus in Matthew 23 was overlooking the city of Jerusalem and he said these words, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings in this telling statement, and you were not willing. Listen, the Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but that all would come to eternal life. The invitation this Advent, the invitation this second week of Advent is an invitation to peace. Peace at whatever it is that he's working together for the good of those that love him. There are some things you are not going to understand. There are some things you will understand. But at the end of the day, there is a God who sits above that, who loves you and is the Prince of Peace. So this second week of Advent, can I make a recommendation to you? Come on, can I make a recommendation to you? I've been thinking about this all week. What do you say at the end of that? (laughs) It's really simple, I think, and I'm going to give you the chance to do it at communion here. My invitation to you today is very simple. Would you just commit today 
this Advent season from now till December 25th to just look to Jesus? It sounds really simple, but don't don't get trite because, listen, you're like me. You're going to walk out of here and there's football games on. There's stuff to buy. There's food to cook. One of the things I love about the V3 Advent readings we've been doing every, every night at 9 p.m. is just this reminder that Dr. Ewing keeps bringing us back to is that even in the story of Mary, there were so many things going on under the surface that could steal her attention and yet she comes and she sings praise to God. She had some stuff going on. <laughs> She's about to give birth to God. And she didn't do the thing that makes you pregnant. So, we go like, whoa! She's going to go tell Joseph, I'm giving birth and I'm still a virgin. It's a virgin birth. And like, what? God had to show up with an angel to help Joseph. I mean, come on. It's a great story. It's true, by the way. Really happened. That same God, John says, lives in you. That same God, the one who overcame the grave and resurrected back to life, the scripture says, lives in you. And greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And so some of you have been under attack. Some of you, the devil's after you. All of you, the devil's after you. He's after me. And yet John and Ruth and Boaz and what Hebrews calls the great cloud of witnesses surrounding you or cheering you on. Why? Because the one who is in you is greater than he is in the world. So the invitation this Advent is, will you look to Jesus? There's no better place to look. His grace always gives direction and it's never disenchanted. Two assurances that can't be found anywhere else this Advent season. And so as we come to the communion table, I want to remind you of that. That as you take these moments, you know, I was even just thinking, I think it's in Acts 20. Even at the beginning of that early church, listen to what Acts 20 verse 7, this is free, this isn't on the screen. says, on the first day of the week, this is very early, this is the very first church. On the first day of the week, the corporate church, when we were gathered together to break bread. You know, there, there is just something about on that first day of the week, having your vision reoriented back to where it ought to be. And it happens through the simple act of breaking bread.